millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today with Carter Gates. Carter is the Asia-Pacific Regional Leader for the Voice of the Martyrs, overseeing our international ministries work uh, around the Asia-Pacific region. And he has, this is his first time. Carter, welcome. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. I understand that God used a VOM book to help lead you in the pathway to missions, and then ultimately, obviously, to come and work for VOM. Talk a little bit about your story and, and how God led you in that direction. Yes, yeah, that's that's right. So I, thankfully, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I grew up in a home where my parents took me to church and shared the gospel with me. And I can't remember exactly how I found it, but uh, when I was in high school, early college years, I found the Jesus Freaks book that uh, VOM partnered with DC Talk to publish, and, you know, that was my first time, even though I had grown up going on mission trips and things like that, it was my first time to really read stories of Christians that faced persecution for their faith. So it turned my world upside down. There was one story in the book from North Korea that really impacted me at the cost that people would have for choosing to follow Jesus. And it really spurred me on to think, if they are sacrificing so much for following Christ, what does that mean for me? And so how did God kind of take that and then ultimately lead you into into missions, into overseas work? Yeah, so through those stories, I just really stirred a passion in me to, to learn more about what our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, not necessarily Asia Pacific at that time, but around the world, what uh, they're facing and, and just this desire to be a part of what God's doing. And so from that, I found myself learning about Youth with a Mission, YWAM. So I was around a sophomore in college, and I went to join YWAM to take a short break from college. But through the Lord's guidance, that ended up being about seven years of working with YWAM. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, through that, uh, the Lord gave me lots of opportunities to, to live in East Asia, travel throughout East Asia, and get to direct interaction and contact with our brothers and sisters in Christ that have faced persecution. So put on your coach hat for a minute, because there's folks who listen to our radio show, listen to our podcast, uh, who are that young person in college, maybe in high school, uh, maybe after college, but but they're, they feel that tug in their heart. Oh, I want to go. I want to see. I want to be involved in what God's doing around the world. Give them a little bit of advice, or, or how would you kind of coach them to take the next step? You know, looking back, I'm so thankful, since I have kids of my own now, how my parents released me. You know, I was in college, and I was in a season of life where I was pursuing college for the reasons because I just thought that's what you did. And I believe, obviously, I've, I've gone back to college now and finished, <laughs> and there's a lot of we need to do that depending on where the Lord's leading you. But I think there's, when stepping in the missions, there's this balance of trusting the Lord and stepping out in faith, but also planning ahead. Now, honestly, looking back, the landscape of missions today than what compared to what it was 15 years ago, 17 years ago when I first entered full-time, it's different. 
and even countries where there may be a freedom of religion, the idea of easily just getting a visa to be a long-term worker there is becoming challenging. And so there is great benefit to getting some experience and tools under your belt that you can use to help further further the gospel overseas. But it's this balance and act, and where I think we just got to trust the Spirit's leading in our life, where um, if the Lord is telling you to step out of what may be normal, and it was scary for me at that age. I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't finish college, but it was what the Lord needed to do in my life at that time, to trust Him in leading my life. But I would say it, it's something you got to let the Spirit lead you to do in trusting the, the experience you can gain from a college and work that then can be applied uh, to be a, a worker overseas. But sometimes the Lord asks us to take risks that are scary at times, but you got to step out and do it. And this is one of the questions I ask people who are from a missions background is, okay, coach those who are thinking about that. Carter, in the course of your travels, you've been to some places that not very many Americans go, including North Korea. How did you end up making a trip to North Korea? I've been there three separate times. We went in as humanitarian aid workers, and then a couple other times we went in with a a couple tour groups, but we were specifically with Christians, and our focus was uh, prayer, intercession, and worship inside the country. So what was it like when you were there? Because to me, North Korea is endlessly fascinating. It is an amazing (laughs) place, and I, I don't necessarily mean amazing in a positive sense. It's amazing because it is so different from everywhere else. What was it like? Yes. I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, still to this day, I like to consume any content on North Korea. It's just easy for me to do that. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like you go back in time. It's a fascinating place, Um, especially when when you look at Korean history, the history of the church in Korea. Back in 1907, there was a large revival in what is today Pyongyang. And what some people say, some church historians say, that the church in South Korea, which is one of the largest missionary sending churches in the world, is the daughter church of the Church of the North. And so it's really fascinating to go to a place where there used to be a thriving church for at some point to now. Um, it's, it's very difficult. Um, when you go in and you see the places that they want you as a foreigner to be exposed to, and you know this is the best of the best they have to offer— In one of my trips, I was in a very far northern part of North Korea. It was in the winter, and there wasn't even central or any type of heating system in the hotel, and it was negative 20 Celsius outside. Oh, my. And so you just realize the the challenges the people of North Korea face. If this is what they want the foreigners to experience, you imagine what the people of North Korea face. Did they take you to a church? Did did you have—I know there are show churches in Pyongyang. Did you go to those and— Yes, I've gone to the two Protestant churches in Pyongyang on two different trips, um, and you know it's it's something you um, you hear a lot of stories if you if you've read much about North Korea, just the what people guess and assume the people inside that church. I pray and hope there's true believers, um, but it, it's difficult to be a follower of Christ in North Korea. Um, they don't set it up well for you to interact with the the church. Uh, members. Uh, when you arrive as a foreigner, all the church members are present in the church, and uh, you, you're you escorted in and you're, you're sat down. And then when the church service is over, none of the members can leave until you leave the church, because they're keeping you from interacting with them. And uh, so it's, um, it's, it's different, and, it's, and my heart goes out to the believers uh, there, because I, I truly hope that there's some in that congregation, but it's hard to know. Yeah. 
it's interesting because you go to North Korea in your case to try to get a sense of what it's like, but then you you can't have conversation with yes, people yes. to get a sense of what it's like. It's like they absolutely don't want you to know what it's really like. Yes. And I think that's where when you you step into the world of, of North Korean ministry, there's so many strategies and approaches on reaching North Korea with the gospel, uh, whether it's, you know, doing things from the outside, ministering to refugees that have escaped, you know, balloon launches into the, the country, or whatever it may be, you know, the Lord is using the body of Christ around the world to reach North Korea in different strategies and methods, and and just trusting that no, and knowing we're confident that God is greater than the North Korean government and His His spirits ministering to the people there, and and we know there's believers there, and so we can pray for them. Amen, Carter. Let's let's go next door to China. A lot of people have been thinking about China because of the Olympics. There's been a lot of attention to what's going on there. What are the latest things that you're hearing? Obviously, as the leader of our work in that country, uh, about what's happening with the church. Yes, if anyone's been following the news any closely with China uh, over the last couple of years, people know that it's getting more difficult for Christians in China. Uh, this was starting to happen before COVID, and then it just seems as though COVID has accelerated that in many ways. China has definitely used COVID lockdowns and restrictions to bring more control over the country. And most experts that we speak to, we're, no one's expecting that to change. We think this is a new normal for China rather than what we're seeing around the world with other countries. Once COVID cases dwindle, then countries are reopening. But no one's expecting that to really happen in China. And so what we're seeing is just different challenges that the house churches are facing. As you can imagine, with greater restrictions and monitoring taking place in China, the house churches are having to meet in smaller and smaller groups. So some of the things we're hearing is just the challenges they face in this. As as many people in China live in high-rise apartment buildings if they live in a major city, which is millions and millions of people in China. <laughs> if you're in a house church and you have families with children, you know, the children, if any of us that have young kids, it's hard to get them to sit still. Children make noise. And so the challenge of how do we keep the children entertained so they don't make noise so the neighbors hear and raise suspicion, and they call the authorities to come and check in on things. So it's just the smallest things like that 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 our Chinese brothers and sisters are living under this little additional stress in meeting together. And and as we all learned here in the U.S., from the sh- very short periods of time we were restricted from gathering with our local fellowships, how hard that was for us. Yeah. And if you can imagine our brothers and sisters in China, the challenges they face gathering, even if it's in a very small group. What is it meaning as far as Voice of the Martyrs work in China? Because I know we're involved in helping the families of prisoners. We're involved in distributing Bibles. Uh, and I know some of this you can't say on the radio. But what are these restrictions meaning for your staff as you try to say, okay, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to help these people? How are we going to get those Bibles to that place? What are these restrictions meaning for you guys? A motto that we go by in international ministries is that we take any necessary risk, but no unnecessary risk. And so we're constantly having to evaluate in China what's a necessary risk versus what's an unnecessary risk. And we really have to think that about our teams that are helping us do work there. You know, right now we're not able to travel into China, mainly for COVID reasons, restrictions, but also there's a security element in that. So our teams that are on the ground there, we have to really think what's a necessary risk and an unnecessary. And we have to let them make that decision themselves and ask them questions so they can let us know 
but it's really creating greater challenges. And, and we're talking with people that are involved in Bible distribution that have been in this industry in China for decades and say this is uncharted territory for them, that they as experts don't even know what next month will bring inside China. Wow. It's, it's something we're daily and almost daily evaluating with our team there as we're asking them to check in with us. Because it's something that even for Chinese Christians, it's 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 new territory for them as well. And I know one of the stories that we hear about here at VOM, but it really hasn't been broadly sort of distributed or talked about, is the number of foreign Christians who aren't in China anymore. Businessmen, other people in in other situations in China, but who either were asked to leave or they went home, and when they asked to come back, they weren't allowed to come back, or their visa was canceled. Can you talk a little bit about that? And not just to get the information out there, but so that our listeners can pray for these people who have been displaced from their life and their calling and their job and everything, and also for our brothers and sisters in China. Yes. So, uh, you know, before COVID and the few years prior to COVID, uh, we were seeing a slow tightening that was building. And every once in a while we would hear and say, okay, this group of workers inside the country have been kicked out or they've been compromised. And and it's something that what we discovered is, I mean, the Chinese government's very smart. I mean, they have a lot of technology and things. So they have the capability and the means to know what's going on in their country. And so what that accelerated to to today is the almost all foreign workers are no longer in the country. And I think that was the ultimate plan that China had. And when, when we talk about almost no foreign workers, let's go back five years. Can you put a number on that? Are, are we talking thousands? Are we talking dozens? What? Oh, I would say thousands for sure. I mean, you can – I know there's one organization alone I can think of that had several hundred. So. Wow. Um, this that's just one organization. Wow. So, and then you you think of all the independent workers that would be there that you know we may not really know about. But it's it's been most have had to leave, whether the 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 government asked them to leave, kicked them out, or they had to leave for COVID reasons as a precaution, and they are, they just can't go back. And you can imagine what some of these workers went through. They they invested decades. Some were able to stay for decades, uh, and they maybe had a forty eight hour window to say leave. And so the trauma that fa- some of these families went through was was quite intense. Uh, many went through interrogations. Uh, when many were imprisoned and withheld from speaking from their their native embassy, and so there was a lot of persecution. A that lot are, of pressure brought yes, to bear. Yes, there was. There was. So how is this affecting the church? Because obviously, many of these workers were involved at least with a local fellowship maybe even more broadly, how is it affecting the church in China? Yeah, so I was recently speaking to one uh, individual that that was kicked out of China and his story of what that was like and the, the trauma and the hardship that that brought on his family. And, you know, one of the most impactful parts of the story for me was when he was initially arrested, the Chinese police came into his home. It was a family. They had children. They ransacked their home to, you know, as a part of an investigation to find any devices or anything like that that would help them get the information they were trying to uh, attain from him. And as you would imagine, when, you know, police do search warrants here in the U.S., they, you know, they dump drawers out, they do everything. They did that to them. But what was most impactful is that their local church, the local church they worked with, came and helped the wife clean their home. 
But what you don't understand in, in this context in China is that by them being arrested, it meant they were being intensely were being watched, watched by the local authorities. And by him being being held, he was in prison, their home with the wife and children still there was still being watched. But the Chinese believers still chose to go to their home knowing that they would be watched as well to help to help them. Wow. Yeah. And they continued to bring them meals and to bring them things that they needed to bring encouraging notes. And and so it was really humbling to see the lengths that the local church there would go to encourage them in their time. And then when the family was finally able to leave the country, uh, they they shared the story how when they were saying goodbyes to the local pastor that they were closest with, he specifically said the foreign worker there was saying, apologizing for just the challenges and maybe the undue hardships that, that it may have brought on them. And they said, it's okay. It's our turn now. Um, it's our turn. Wow. You've given us training and the things we need. Now it's our turn to lead. So, Carter, would you say, like, you talked about a new normal. Are there going to be no foreign workers in China? Is, I mean, is that the new normal? Is just the Chinese government is just not going to let that happen? I think time will tell. I think it'll be interesting once, you know, because China's taking this zero COVID approach. And so with that approach, the quarantine rules and the visa um, allowances that they're giving are very restrictive right now. And so right now, it's it's hard to say. I think when visa allowances start start being issued, what that will look like will determine what the future will have for foreign workers in China. And then I think we'll be able to get a glimpse of what that, that future is. It seems like COVID kind of played right into their hand. I mean, it's a great excuse for them. It is not about religious freedom. It's about safety and health. We, you know, we, yes. just, we just have to be careful. They're using it to fulfill, I think, the ultimate plan that they have just to bring a bit more control to the country. And I mean, their facial recognition systems throughout the country are so immense that even if we had the freedom to travel into China right now, it's too risky for us to sit down with our team because China knows who everyone's meeting with. I mean, their their monitoring systems are, are impressive. So as we kind of finish up this part of our conversation, how do we pray for China and for what's going on with the church there? One first thing, uh, pray that uh, we can continue to distribute Bibles. Most people, I think— are learning that if you don't know, China actually prints Bibles for most of the world. And one little inroad is they do have an allotment that they uh, they have for allowing Bibles to remain in country, but that number's dwindling. And so just be praying that we can continue to get Bibles to believers throughout China, because there's still many, many believers without access to God's Word. And so just be praying for that. Be praying for um, the church leaders and pastors, that they would have wisdom and discernment of how to lead their congregations through this new level of intensity, of security concern, and being watched. Uh, You know, there's this balance of boldness in the gospel, but wisdom, and just praying that they have that well and how to shepherd their congregations well through this season in China. How would you, if you put your missionary hat on now, how can we pray for these families? And like you say, you just met with one that have basically been ripped out of China, ripped out of their lives, in some cases decades of ministry, their friendships, their relationships. How do we pray for them as they're going through this just—you use the word trauma. How do we pray for them during this time of trauma? Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, there's many of these, these families and individuals where if you think they spent years of, of time and energy and resources into learning languages— into uh, doing things to, to better equip them to reach maybe a certain people group or the, the people in China. And so 
praying that God would give them opportunities to still use these resources that they have. Pray that the Lord would help them find a soft landing place to heal. Uh, Some left, like the family we met, through intense situations where they were interrogated, they were held, they were imprisoned, and then released. Um, Some, you know, may have had a gentle warning and told to leave. But whatever it was, I would say pray that the Lord would lead them to the right places. Um, Now these workers are being scattered throughout the world, whether they're uh, trying to reach China from the outside in, trying to reach Chinese people in diaspora around the world, or they're changing their focus to a whole new people group. But just pray that the Lord ministers to them, that their home churches can care for them well, encourage them, and that knowing that uh, God can still use them. Yeah. And for soft hearts, I think it would be easy to kind of like, God, how could you let this happen? I've I've given the last 20 years to learning this language and getting situated here. How could you let this happen? So— Yes, and and you know this one individual that we spoke to just expressed his anger and towards the the Chinese officials of just the things they went through and how decisions are being made in the country that are impacting the people. But something that they were also reminded of is how well they were cared for by the Chinese church through that. Wow. So just their heart to continue, even though they may feel so frustrated with the Chinese government, uh, their heart to still still minister and love the Chinese people that are still there and how they can reach them and serve them in this time. I want to hit a couple more countries in your region, Carter. And the and the first one, let's stop in Myanmar or Burma. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a coup about a year ago, a little over a year yep, ago. A year ago, February 1st. Um, what, what is that meaning for Christians broadly, but then especially for the work that VOM is doing in Myanmar? What How has the coup affected that? If you follow uh, the any history with Myanmar, you would know that until about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the people of Myanmar lived under a similar dictatorship for, for, for many, many years. So what we've observed with a lot of our team and a lot of the workers we know there, the national workers, is that they're just kind of reverting back to the old normal. <laughs> as much as they love the freedom they experience, they're not allowing this coup to stop them from fulfilling the calling that God's placed on their lives to minister to the church there. So there have been a lot of restrictions of traveling domestically. We're seeing those kind of ease. And so our teams are starting to travel again. Thankfully, our team has not experienced too much, but we have heard of many people getting caught up in some of the areas of the country that are experiencing intense fighting with the political fighting back of the coup. Uh, so it's a very intense time in Burma right now, but thankfully our team's still able to minister there and, and love the church and help our persecuted brothers and sisters. And is the reason for the pressure, the the generals, I would assume, see the church as potentially working against them, like undermining their authority? Is that, that's why they would respond to Christians with like, hey, you can't do that? Yes, especially I think if they're seen as having outside help from foreigner, foreign uh, okay. help, I think that's something of concern. If you think of any idea in, in a context like this, these dictators, they want control. So anything yeah. that causes them to feel as though their, their control or someone's trying to subvert their control, that's when it can get dangerous. And so our team is just trying to do things quietly behind the scenes. Um, We're becoming much more sensitive with the content we release from Myanmar just to protect them and their identities, uh, because we just don't want them to be on anyone's radars. Right. Let's go then to another country in your region, which is Vietnam. And I know Vietnam has been a place that's been hard to get to the last two years, or maybe impossible to get to. Yes. Um, What's going on with the church there? 
Yeah, so we have not been able to travel at all to Vietnam, and that's mainly due to COVID restrictions. We we believe that's going to be easing soon, uh, hopefully, so we can get travel there and see our team and get reconnected with them. You know, but one story that really impacted me uh, recently out of Vietnam was uh, in one area of the country, there the Christians in this one specific village had no place to bury their dead. And so it was a very strong Buddhist area of Vietnam. And so what was happening is when a local believer passed away, uh, if the family wanted to have them cremated or even having their body taken care of post-death, they would have to do it through the local temple. And that was the only means to have that taken care of, which meant they were required to submit to a Buddhist funeral ceremony overseen by the local monks. And so for the believers, that's just something they just couldn't bring themselves to do. And there was one lady in particular that was so uh, that was so difficult for her. She ended up having to bury her husband inside her home, in the ground inside her home. So what we've been able to do is we've been able to help purchase a plot of land to become a Christian cemetery so the local believers there can have a place to bury their loved ones. Um, and w- and I know this one lady in specific, once we get this land settled, which will be very soon, she'll be able to move, to her, move her loved one to the new cemetery. But the church in Vietnam overall, they've, I, I think they've done a, a good job of continuing to persevere, to meet together online. They've done their best to do that. They're coming out on the outside of, of COVID in, in a place where I think the church is growing and they're encouraged by the growth they're seeing. Talk a little bit more about the cemetery project, because I that's not a usual VOM thing, like, hey, let's buy a cemetery. Yeah, yeah that'll be great. How does this come up? And, and go through the process where it comes to you and you're like, and they explain, no, this is this is a function of persecution. They don't have a place to bury their dead. Talk a little bit about how you work through the process of, of understanding this is a need and then mm-hmm. how VOM helps. Yes. So we have, a, we have a team on the ground in Vietnam that's going into different areas of the country uh, that's building a network. So we can just hear about the challenges that believers are facing. A lot of times with these networks, we're, we're not always doing it just so we can respond in a specific way, but just so we can pray and encourage uh, our believers fellowship. in Christ to create that fellowship, right? So we heard about this situation, and, and typically our approach when we face a situation where believers may need some form of assistance, one of the one of the things I think through is like, what can we do for this believer or for these believers to help to continue to persevere in their home place to be a light for the gospel? And what are ways that we can help them continue to have that presence in their homes? And this was a situation that was brought to us by our team there, and and it just showed us that, yes, this by providing this place, we can help these families continue to be a light, um, to continue to be a ministry to the surrounding area, to say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Why are you different? And uh, and I think it's it's something that where I appreciate the leadership here at VOM, they, they really give us the freedom to say, do what we need to do to minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we find that creative ways to do that, to encourage them, to empower them. It's interesting. We had a conversation last fall, I believe, with a pastor from Nepal, and it's a similar situation. You cannot—there's no burial yes. places. You're supposed to be cremated. But when someone is cremated, it's assumed, well, they were a Hindu. Look, yes. they got cremated. Yes. Uh, and so having a place to bury the dead is also a testimony. Yes. This guy was not a Hindu anymore exactly. because otherwise he wouldn't be here. So it's always fascinating to me how— the needs are different in more than 70 countries where VOM works in 
a little village in Vietnam versus someplace in Burma versus someplace in Nepal. The needs are all different, but we're able to respond and we're able to provide help in a way that's really meaningful. I mean, for that lady to have a place to bury her husband, that's a, a very meaningful help to her. Yes. And our team goes to there to meet with her and just to encourage her and to let her know that there's the body of Christ around the world that's that's in praying for her and is here to encourage her. And we're just thankful for the opportunity to be able to, to serve them that way. We're talking with Carter Gates. He is the leader for our work in Asia Pacific. Uh, Carter, let's, let's hit prayer before we finish up. Uh, first, we talked about Myanmar. How do we pray for what's going on in Myanmar right now with our brothers and sisters there? Yes, I would say be praying for the church there and of just knowing how to respond to the current situation, of of using this time to share the gospel, just to share that there's hope in Christ in the midst of these difficult situations that the country is facing. Also, I mean, understandably so, you know, having Christians wanting to to protest and to stand for the freedom that they had uh, in the country prior to the coup— but wisdom and how to do that well. Uh, and I think for boldness for the church leaders to continue to be bold in, in, in advancing the gospel, to, to leading their churches uh, in the midst of, depending on where they're at in the country, that can look very different. Some places it may not be quite as dangerous, but some places to, to be a pastor, it's very dangerous in the country right now. And then let's talk about Vietnam. How do we pray for our brothers and sisters there? Yes, uh, you know Vietnam. I would say continue to pray for the the church leaders and pastors. I would say pray that um, they they regularly are under pressure, especially in the rural areas of the country. That's where we experience a lot of the persecution that we we walk alongside these pastors with. Um, I think pray for them that they would have uh, the boldness, just like I was just sharing in Myanmar, to continue to lead their congregations, to not be deterred by threats by the local authorities to keep them, and that there's many people coming to Christ in Vietnam, and that they wouldn't be deterred by the the fear or the threats that they may receive, uh, and that we continue, continue to distribute Bibles. This is another need in the rural tribal areas of the country. We're wanting to get Bibles to these believers that don't have them, whether it's an audio or a physical Bible, to encourage them in their faith, that COVID restrictions won't limit these things. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.